This is John Firth, and welcome to the fourth episode of my podcast series, No One Should Own Your Tomorrow Except You. Today's episode is called Business Without Borders. And my guest today, Angie Snowball Thompson, started life in corporate America, as did many of us after college. But it took her 10 years, 37 countries, and two languages later to find her true passion, helping others express themselves. She started by giving ESL lessons, lessons to foreign expatriates, and soon developed and ran cultural training sessions, eventually expanding to all forms of communication coaching. Angie draws on a plethora of experience when working with her clients, 20 plus years of sales and marketing, 20 plus years on global teams, as well as an MA in English and certificates in Six Sigma, Greenbelt, CPSHR, and TEFL, as well as much more. So, Angie, I've recently been on Zoom calls with business people in Kenya, Guatemala, Spain, Japan, Mexico, and so forth. And my recent podcast videos and blog entries have attracted audiences from Canada to the Netherlands, the UK and Germany, from Russia, Israel and India, to Indonesia, the Philippines and Australia. And to everyone speaks excellent English. I feel like the last of the borders of international business, especially around communications, have fallen finally. Do you agree or have I missed something? Well, John, first, thank you so much for having me. That introduction makes me sound so fancy. <laughs> Happy uh, to have but, you here. <laughs> yeah, I would like to say I agree with that. It is a business without borders. In fact, as you know, that's the name of my series, interview series. But I think that there are still some road bumps that we need to navigate through as we're working with other cultures. So yes, language has become less of an issue and the globalization that has happened over the last two years is amazing because people have truly embraced the Zoom, the Google Meet, the Teams, whatever it takes, this technology that we've always had. You know, I taught English on Skype 10 years ago. <laughs> so we've always had it. But somehow these last two years, everyone says, wow, I can do this anywhere. Why, why wouldn't I do this anywhere? Why, why should I stop in the United States? Why can't I work with Kenya? There's no reason we can't. I just think that we need to realize the rest of the world doesn't always hold the same values, the same mores, the same ways of communicating that we do. So although language may not be the barrier, I do think we need to be more aware of the culture, the cultural differences. I, and we've talked uh, before about Germany and Japan, where I've lived and some of the countries you've lived in and so forth. You also lived in Germany. We won't speak German right now, even though I do have audience members in Germany. But uh, give me a couple of examples of where it can easily be misinterpreted interpreted, uh, because the communication style or behaviors are different, but it's still expressing the same values. Yeah, I think the German one was really close to home because um, when I worked with BMW, you know, that's a large company and the vice president there had excellent English. There was no reason that he needed English lessons, except that he was the efficiency in the plant had dropped tremendously. And it really turned out because they felt like this new vice president who was from Germany didn't care about them as a person. 
There were no more donut days on Friday. There were no more family picnic days because in a German culture, as you know, they like to separate that much more. So there's no reason to have a donut day. It's efficient, less efficient. It takes up time. I'd rather leave early and go buy my own donut with my friends and family, right? In the United States, something like donut day says, oh gosh, my boss cares about me. So some of those cultural differences um, of work is work, let's be efficient and get it done while we're here versus I want something, my company, to treat me as a person, an individual, to know my likes, my dislikes. Those are two different worlds. And so what we found was that once this vice president kind of changed the way he would talk to people, even in his town hall meetings, he'd walk in and say, this line was down 10 minutes. This happened five minutes. This is the issue. This is the challenge. Fix it. Right. Well, everyone in the in the Americans would walk out and say, this guy is a you know what? Lots of four letter words flying around. <laughs> right. yeah. So, you know, and he just didn't see it because he thought, are you kidding me? Donuts are going to make these people work more. But that coming together and also working on his email skills, because he would say things like that. He would write back, say, fix it or not. OK, poor like that's all he would write you know the american guy would say gosh that's really not good news um what have we done what do you think we can do to fix it how do you think we should solve it and try to have this discussion whereas in the german culture it's like this is not a discussion this is broken you fix it you tell me how end of story go home so there's a lot of animosity that would tend to build and it had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the language it had nothing to do with vocabulary it had to do with the culture around choosing the words and choosing the way that people were talking to each other. So once they broke through that barrier, the efficiency went up because they understood. They understood that he was not trying to be rude. He was not trying to be aggressive. He was trying to be efficient so they could get home to their friends and family. And then they said, huh, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) You're right. I would rather spend time with my family than eat donuts with you guys. So um, that's interesting you bring up Germany because I have lots of stories about that. But it sounds also like there was a core value. So he came from PM, BMW to the United States, if I understand correctly. Yes, correct. And so he was carrying a value that corporate, the, the heart of BMW, found very important, whereas BMW America might have downplayed it a little bit. And that's a question of efficiency. You rarely see yeah, efficiency in core values in America. You see a lot of collaboration, teamwork, respect, so forth. <laughs> trying to think, last time I saw efficiency as a core value uh, in an American, you know, up on the wall with core values. So that is actually a fundamental difference in terms of just values. So how do you, how do you bridge that in your work? when it may appear to be a communication issue, but it might actually truly be a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or a misformulation of beliefs and values. Well, one of the things I think is most important in, I always say this, the base of communication is listening. Everybody's always worried about what to say, what words should come out of their mouth. But the first step in understanding these values so that you can formulate your words around it as, as you said, to know them, In order to know them, I have to listen, not to respond, but to understand, and I have to ask questions. You can never go in with assumptions. 
I think you always have to ask questions because another thing that I do with culture, and one of the reasons I don't tout myself as a cultural coach is because I don't like some of the most well-accepted values and, and books because I think culture, there are so many aspects to it. I hate reading a book where they say Japanese culture does this. Well, many people may, a lot of it may be founded on that piece. For example, Japanese culture, you will almost always find that they tend to keep their emotions in check or they try to, when they're speaking, they try not to show emotion. In front of, in front of foreigners, in front of foreigners. What I discovered at Sunny was when the foreigners aren't there, boy, do the emotions run high. Exactly. It's like mom and dad left and the party starts, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, you see that. There's part of that. There's also part that uh, there are a lot of space, a lot of silence when you're working with Asian cultures because you're supposed to read the air. You're supposed to think, listen, understand, process. Where you get Americans in the room and someone's not talking, somebody's going to ask, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Just to break the silence. We can't handle silence. So there are pieces of that that are different, but I've also met different people in a Japanese culture or a German culture that don't fit the mold at all. So I always say it's great to have this as a foundation. It's great to have these books as a guideline, but the only way to really make sure you're communicating effectively with your clients or your teammates, your partners, is to ask questions, get to know them, listen to what they're saying. What do they value? Pay attention to what they're saying to you and not just in front of you. If you really have an important person in your life, check out what they're doing. We have the the blessing and the burden of social media, right? But it's a great way to see people's values. What do they like? What do they share? What do they say? You can really find out what someone values in that way as well. So I think that's really, really important to understand um, because as you say, some of the values that you would see in a mission statement in Japan or in Germany would never be in ours. Our mission statements are more about the passion, the, always about the people first. And we, we put a lot of emphasis on that. And, and they're visionary too. They're very yeah. visionary. Our mission statements, our visions and mission statements are very much about five years from now. What are we trying to create? What are we creating and how are we doing it? Um, you know, that alone, you can, I mean, Japanese, I'll never forget when I was in a manager's meeting at Sony, which was the big annual meeting of all the senior executives at Sony when I was in Japan. And uh, uh, Kudaragi, I think it was, who developed the PlayStation and others, and he was highly successful, obviously. We're talking about 20 years from now, these great big visions. And the chairman of the board finally said, that's all great. It's fascinating. What are we going to do next year? We still haven't solved the problem of multiple remote controls. And we know that that's an issue for just about everybody is that you've got five remote controls to work all sorts of different things. We haven't even figured out how to do one remote control. And we're talking about changing brain waves into messages and stuff. And I thought to myself, yep, that's the difference. Japanese love to think way out. Uh, Germans think a little further out. Americans do get accused of being uh, short term, but that's only because we do have a long term vision that at five years, which is sort of how the cycles work. And within that, we slice it a little bit. So, you know, to, to, there's already a disagreement of what is long term and what is short term. 
when you know people accuse America is only short term because of Wall Street, but we tend to think as long term. We're just not as explicit about it necessarily. Oh yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. And uh, along with that, I would add the tangible and intangible. I always think when I look at a lot of the criticism I would get um, as an American was, especially the Germans, they, at one point in time, they saw the movie Field of Dreams, build it and they will come, if you remember that old movie. And they just thought that was hilarious because they just thought Mm -hmm. that is every American, just run out and do random stuff and hope it catches up with you. Just go be a big dreamer and maybe it'll work. Maybe it doesn't dust yourself off and move along. And that is kind of our culture. That is our, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, Another thing that one of my, this was a guy from Brazil and you know, Brazilians are kind of crazy. They're pretty wild themselves speaking of Mm -hmm. dreamers and running and do it. But he said, I love this culture. You guys should put that little Nike swoosh on your flag. Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of us. And a lot of cultures, see that as a negative value. So whereas we're very proud of the just do it, we're very proud of, another one is multitasking. You know, that's something people were used to put on their resumes. I'm a multitasker. And Mm -hmm. I remember going through um, resumes when I worked in Brussels, Belgium, and one of the colleagues on my team was German. And he said, who would do that? That's a terrible thing to do. This person was so proud of their multitasking. And this German guy says, well, nothing like putting your weakness out there. it's great they can multitask you know it's like no it's inefficient get something done move on you know it's just a different way of looking at the world so have you ever been called into situations that have really gotten a little bit heated where the business is suffering because people literally aren't talking to one another properly oh absolutely so when i worked at ford motor company many moons ago they actually closed that plant Um, But I was in many of those meetings where it came down to, and that was an extra added thing because of the union. So there was so many different values happening there. It was a German company running an American company that also had a union that the union here is wildly different than the union in Germany. Um, And and they just, once the emotions got so high, Honestly, they couldn't communicate anymore. And to this day, I'll tell you that's why that failed. I mean, yes, there were technical reasons, but things could have been fixed. But the emotions just ran so high that people completely shut off. They completely stopped listening. And they really just would just shout at each other. They just shouted. No one responded. They just kept shouting what they thought over and over. No one could see the benefits that the other sides brought. Because that's the other thing when you're working culturally. You know, cultures are always going to be different. That doesn't mean bad. And truly, as much culture as I've seen, I think the most effective, the most productive, the most wonderful products have come from those projects that were global, where people recognized, you know what, I love that American piece of this. I love that. Go do it. Let's do that. But hey, this guy has a point. Let's make sure we put this in place as well. And you know what, that Asian guy over there or whatever, Japan, wherever let's he's not wrong either so let's try and put all these pieces together and like anything if you take the strengths of everything and build your strengths together you're going to be stronger you're going to be better that that that, that's fascinating because i lived through that too when i started the u.s arm of a big german strategy consulting firm roland berger and uh 
yeah, we had shouting matches and screaming matches and businesses suffered. And um, uh, it was it was a very, very painful experience. I had actually learned consulting at, in headquarters. The company was called Roland Berger. I was at headquarters. So I came back kind of very Germanized. So, so I was having the reverse culture shock, trying to become um, an American again. And there's some stuff that was very uh, instinctual, like, you know, be good to your team, especially to your staff, because you don't know how, how it's going to, what's going to happen if you're not. I mean, they can start sabotaging you. And I had this one guy I was working with on a joint German-American project, and he married an American woman. So it wasn't like he was new to America, but she had lived in Germany with him for at least 10 or 15 years. And he wanted to yell at the secretary for something, literally yell at her. And it wasn't even a major thing. It was like, forgetting to order lunch or something. And I was, I literally had to physically hold him back so that before we went around the corner, because I said, you do that. And I don't know what, what China's going to have broken, but I don't want to have to pick up the pieces. Oh gosh, you know, the tone too. I work with yeah. a lot of people explaining to them, look, you, you have the right words. You have all this in place. But when you mm -hmm. say it, tone and body language, we, we had just talked about body language before we have done here, that can make all the difference in the world. You can say, oh, I think this is a great project, but your arms are crossed and your eyes are up in your head. I mean, who has a teenager? They say a lot with their eyes, but they'll <laughs> never say with their mouth, right? Right. So, um, I, and adults do this too. I mean, I see it all the time. Eye rolling, arms crossing, uh, as body language will say something. Um, I say that too. I said, I can control my mouth, but there comes a point I can't control my face. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I've been yeah, told so, that too. Yeah. You know, or like you talk about those screaming matches. Man, my my face would get as red as my hair. I wouldn't say anything, but you could see like a thermometer. I would just get so angry, you know, hearing all this stuff. And I'd keep telling myself, okay, don't say anything. Take the emotion out before you open your mouth because those things are so critical. And like you said, that yelling at a secretary for something. That's natural in some countries. And the secretary doesn't mm -hmm. care. She'll say, yes, you're right. My fault. I, I messed up. Right. I mean, right. It's, there's it's no crazy. emotion attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so crazy. Yeah, no, it's, 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 and, and that becomes the question of how do you tell when, you know, you have a certain corporate values and sort of corporate standards. How do you flex those when you go abroad then? When you're dealing with, first of all, managers going to new countries um, where, they really truly don't understand cultural and, and how, how our behaviors and communications do signal certain values and beliefs that we have that may be slightly different than Germany. How do you bridge that gap? Uh, training is obviously one way, but um, you know, it, it sounds like when we talk about it, it sounds like an unholy mess. You know, <laughs> the Germans, the Japanese, the Americans, yeah. everybody's running around sticking to things and yet, corporations manage to stay global and be highly successful? You know, one thing that I've always seen works, and this is why I love doing the, the thing that I do with Business Out Without Borders, was always a team event, usually a dinner. Get people together um, in a non-business situation, ask them about their families, ask them about their life. Now, some cultures that's very private and it's difficult for them to do. But when you pull it together as a global team, 
even the cultures that know that's private, they realize that this is part of what they're doing here. And I think that helps so much because you see that person as a person. You see that person as someone else that has a brother, a sister, a kid, a spouse, whatever the case may be. And you are, it allows you to listen more. Because when we see it as just a corporate value, we see it as just another number, just another face out of 50,000 people that work there. And it's much easier to argue with someone you don't care about or you have no skin in the game and you don't even see him as a person. So I think that's one of the ways that you can do it. Because I remember moving to Brussels, I worked for Procter & Gamble. They have the mm -hmm. most wonderful culture training programs. They, I can't even mm -hmm. tell you how much they put me through. And I got there and I still felt ill-prepared. Because everything they taught me came out of a book. Everything they taught me came out of a corporate trainer. Everything they taught me, it wasn't people. And when I got there, I had a wonderfully wonderful boss as well. And he was well aware of that. And he kind of sat us all in the room. And it was so funny. I remember the first question because I was nervous and thought, oh, he's going to ask me something technical about the SAP program. And he says, I'd like everyone to tell me who's your favorite cartoon character and why. And it was something so off the wall, but so personalized. So everybody mm -hmm. kind of became a person, not just someone in business. And however you do it, I think that is a really great way to break through cultural differences is to find people as a person. And that's why I like the interviews I do is because they say, hey, you live in Taiwan. Tell us about you. What do you do? What's it like to live there? What do you eat? Oh, that looks gross. Do you really eat it? You mm -hmm. know, it's a real conversation. And I think that's where real culture comes in. It's all, we are all people. Generally, we all have the same core values underneath. You know, I mean, everyone wants to take care of their family and loved ones. Everyone wants to, to be happy. Everyone wants to be respected, mm -hmm. treated well. Mm -hmm. All these golden rule things, they're the same no matter which country you come from. It's those other smaller pieces that make us see those differences because we don't look deep enough down. So I think when you really look and you find someone is a, on a personal level, that's where you can bring in those deeper conversations and break through those cultural barriers. It's interesting you say that because that got me thinking of the times that uh, when I was doing cross-border consulting or M&A, and it was mostly Germans and, and uh, Americans I was bringing together, but I was also doing Japanese and European and so forth. That those were key moments. And it's because really behaviors are situational. So when you're in a corporate situation, let's face it, things can get tense pretty quickly. Things can, you know, you've got literally the bottom line is the bottom line. I mean, you have to perform. And sometimes right. that puts on so much pressure, your behaviors start to, well, you start to fall back on the behaviors you're most comfortable with, which may not be appropriate at that moment for that country. Whereas when you're in a relaxed setting, you're having a beer or some wine or something, and you're getting down to the more personal, that pretty much looks the same around the world. I it mean, does. when I think about when I think about people I've had lunch, you know, corporate friends who I've gone out to lunch or dinner with, I mean, the Japanese take it to the nth degree. They get drunk and then they're, they, nothing they say is to be held against them. And sort of oh. like, now we're just gonna let it all out. Uh, and it really it all looks the same, which is it gets it gets very relaxed very quickly. People start laughing. They start telling jokes. Um, I've never seen it fail, frankly, in yeah, any culture. I, I agree. I was just thinking, as you said, that there was a 
speaking of those heated conversations, there was one one of my first, and there were a bunch of German guys, um, and they were we were just screaming. And I felt like he had degraded everything I'd done, my whole team had done for the last three months. I my face was red. I was so angry. Um, and the meeting was over. And he says, Hey, do you want to grab a beer? And I thought, no, I would like to punch you in the face or just run you over with my car, but I do not want to drink beer with you. And he was just like, yeah, over, work over. Right. And it's amazing how different they are. So I, I ended up not killing him and we and we did have a beard and <laughs> we're still good friends. You know, it's been 20 some years later, we're good friends, but I would have never seen that part of him had we not gotten out of the office. And that's, that's where I think that comes back in. Like you said, it can, can be completely different people. And Germans really do understand that. German, Germans are funny that way. Is they, they do know that their behaviors can go over the top, especially the younger ones realize that. Um, and, um, but it is a truism. What happens to the office happens to the office. What happens outside of the office is a totally different thing. They also have a much clearly drawn line, as you alluded to earlier, to here's your here's your professional life and here's your private life. They that whole work life discussion that we have in the United States is not as well, I don't think there's any country in the world, maybe Japan, that has to address that to the extent Americans have had to address address it. Even the Germans who are always about working, they've always recognized the importance of family time, away time. And that's why they have this nice little break that's for us fairly funny because we see it all sort of fluidly between your private life uh, and, and, and being private with your work colleagues when you're not at work. It's very well yeah. defined as it is in Japan. You know, that's something that I saw when the American side started to realize that it's not a bad thing. You know, that was something oh. I saw too. I was like, huh, that's a great thing to do, to be more efficient. And I remember one conversation specifically, this guy, I had told him, I said, you need to talk to your colleagues, your, your team, because he was the manager. And so you need to start asking him, you know, how was your weekend? What did you do? Because you have no relationship and they're really starting to mute me. And he says, yeah, but I don't want to. I, I don't care what his kid did. I said, I know you don't. Just pretend like you did. Ask him how his weekend was. So he, he literally goes to the guy and he says, um, hey, how was your weekend? And the guy was taken aback. First time ever, he goes, well, it's good. Well, my kid, he goes, I don't need details. Okay. Now, he asked the question. He's like, good or bad? Okay, no details. Let's go. And he looks at me and goes, was that okay? I said, no, that was not. <laughs> but, you know, it brought the discussion up because the guy was sitting there confused. He goes, what's happening? I said, well, I'm trying to go through, you know, building relationships. And we had the discussion. And the American guy says, you know what? You're right. It's not a bad call. If I can get out of here at 430 instead of 630, because we're not all friends here, let's do it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's the way you look at things as well. That's why I go back to ask questions. Look at the bright side of what they're doing. It may be weird to you. It may be different. It may even seem rude or offensive. But look, what they're doing it for some reason. Why are they doing it? You know, get, get down oh, yeah. and ask those questions. And you might just find that it's a value you wish you had. Yeah, no, and, and that is, of course, what innovation is all about, too, is bringing different elements together that don't look like they necessarily go together. And yet, when you synthesize them into something new, it's great. And, you know, that happens with people, too. I mean, innovation comes from people. So if you've got people who are open, vulnerable, willing to ask questions, willing to explore things that they may not be so comfortable with, 
inevitably innovation, the innovative sphere comes up because that is the basis of innovation. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of questions. It's, I say it's the most underutilized leadership tool there is. You can, yeah, you can make, you can turn things around so quickly. You can learn something. You can make a person feel special, even if you've just made them feel like, you know, like not a four letter word, <laughs> you, you know, you ask them some nice questions and it can turn things around very quickly. Um, I see our time is almost up. Is there any last words of wisdom you'd like to impart to our audience? I just, I just would again, like advise everyone to just because someone speaks our language doesn't mean that that's all of the barrier you may have in communication. So just to be patient, tolerant, ask questions, be perceptive, and be open. That, that would be my parting advice. Just be open. Excellent. Very well said. Well, thank you very much, Angie. And I look forward to continuing the dialogue and especially our next podcast um, with my friend Betty Ying, who's Af uh, Asian American. She sees the reverse side now, which is in America or diversity and inclusion uh, on your home turf and making sure that people are involved and they're included and diversity is celebrated and not sort of put, pushed off to the side. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Great. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think oh, we covered yeah, all the good. Yeah. Um, no, and I look forward to doing one with you then at some point. Um, oh, I can turn the recording off. <laughs>